0: Uh, am I on? There I am. Fantastic. Well, um, as was said, we're going to start a new series called Rooted. And uh, today is a super exciting service because uh, man, I've never preached on this before, this particular topic, and I've never heard it preached before. But I'm very excited in the end. We're going to look at Jesus because that's kind of what we preach about all the time. Uh, so I want to uh, invite you to read with me John chapter 7. And this is going to be what we're going to land on at the very end, but I just kind of want to set it in the background as we dive in. It's John chapter 7, it'll be up on the screen, verse 37, and it says this. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers Of living water. This week um, highlights an an incredible reality, uh, and it's one really that all sort of humanity is aware of at some level, and we feel it in our core, and that is that uh, the reality that there is a source to life. Uh, And this source is where we find true acceptance, true love, true connection, true satisfaction. And we've been chasing it ever since. Uh, I had the privilege of um, going to Disneyland. And thanks to this church and the council, they sent our, church, our, our family uh, as a gift to go to Disneyland. And so we, after a lot of negotiation with working out all the dates and finding a day that's not raining, we finally ended up going on the first and second of the year, which I know sounds crazy. Uh, It was a little crazy because, again, uh, you'd imagine that on a Saturday, Sunday, first and second uh, uh, days of the year being in Disneyland would have been pretty crowded. It was. It was crazy. Um, And we just had, we had the best time. But one of the things that that we saw sort of over and over, over the course of the two days, and I think it was due to the fact that on New Year's Eve, they probably had a big party. It was packed and the rides kind of ran like crazy. But we had quite a few rides that were either broke down and not running or they would break down like in the middle of where you're waiting in line and all of a sudden a line or, or a ride would kind of break down. All the people that go to Disneyland are shaking their head like, yeah, that's happened to us. Like we were on Monsters, Inc. And we, uh, we got on the ride. And, you know, it's this like little cart and it takes you around, you know, Monster, Inc.'s world. And we're like halfway through and all of a sudden like everything goes dark And Haley's like, is this part of the ride? And I'm like, no, the power shut off. We're stuck, you know? (laughs) And so then all of a sudden, like, the emergency lights go on. And you hear this voice like, don't worry. We're going to come and get you. And they literally had to come to our cart, release us, get out of the cart, walk back to the right, which wasn't a big deal because it's Monsters, Inc. And it's, you know, but we, um, from there, we went to Space Mountain, And Space Mountain was a really long line, like an hour and a half wait. And we're, you know, in this tunnel. And you know Space Mountain. It's the one that's a roller coaster in the dark, right? Been around forever. Probably everyone in this room has been on Space Mountain. But, you know, the uniqueness is it's pitch black and you're on a roller coaster. And it sort of dawned on me, like, wow, we're pretty trusting. So I'm on this, you know, in this line. I've been done, you know, imagine, uh Space Mountain a bunch. So we're on this, in this line, probably halfway through, maybe 45 minutes left, and a voice comes on. Sorry for the inconvenience, but, um, you know, you get the app, and it tells you, like, how long it's going to be, and they're like, yeah, that's going to be significantly longer, because our ride broke, and we're having to get people off the ride. This roller coaster in the dark, can you imagine? And so, but it wasn't like, hey, um, you know, we're shutting the ride down. It was, the wait's going to be longer because the ride's broke, but we'll get it up again. And all these people that are waiting in line, you'll trust us to get it up again. And then we all can't wait to jump on that ride that's broke down, that's probably going to break down again. We're going to get stuck in the dark on some roller coaster, but we're like, yeah, it's Disneyland. Sign me up. How long do I have to wait for that ride? And lo and behold, we waited another hour. We got on the ride and it didn't break down. But I was just like, I was baffled as I'm sitting there like, seriously, I'm really doing this. I've got my 12-year-old daughter and I'm taking her on this ride that more than likely is going to break down in the middle of it. But we're good. We just trust Disney yeah. in, the palm of our, there goes, in the palm of their hands. And I was thinking about, you know, obviously this video kind of highlights this choice at the tree. And, and we're gonna unpack this a little bit. Uh, and we're gonna take a couple of different angles about it. But I, I wanna highlight this choice because it really is a choice about trust. And I wrote this down. Trust my ability to manage my life and find meaning and significance on my own. None of us have tried that. Or surrender my will to him and find my life in Him, So that's sort of the thesis, if you will, of this morning. But before we, we, we sort of dive further into that, we have to understand the garden a little bit. And I want to kind of break up some misconceptions. And I sort of did a deep dive into the garden more than I've ever done. It was super fun. Um, and the whole creation story. And what you have to understand is that um, God made everything, but not everything he made was flourishing yet. God made the world. He made everything about the world. And then it says he made the garden and the garden was flourishing. You remember when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, they lived in the desert. It wasn't the garden. It wasn't developed, but the garden was special. And so I want to read out of Genesis chapter two because this is just so cool. I want, I want you to get a picture of this garden and what God's doing here. So Genesis chapter two and verse eight says, "The Lord God planted a garden eastward in the, in the Eden, and there He put a man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you get this picture that God created the garden. But he created the whole world. <clears throat> but he didn't just put man in the world. He created the world and then he took special care in creating this garden and it specifically says and he planted trees. I don't know if you've ever been to Ed's house but like I love seeing his orchard like all these trees and just the care that got put into God put into this area that he put Adam. It's very significant, and we're going to see why. Because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God gives sort of orders, if you will, a mandate to Adam and ultimately Eve. And he says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply. Watch this. Fill the earth and subdue it. So in other words, God's design was that he would have this garden and he would have the tree of life in the middle of it and it would almost be an epicenter. And he's saying to Adam and Eve, ultimately, I don't. my, my, my design wasn't that y'all were just going to stay in the garden and ultimately populate the garden to where it was just exploding, but that you were going to go out from the garden and fill the earth, but not just with people but with my goodness, with my life radiating. And so it was God's desire to take his life, what he put in the garden, and bring it everywhere on earth through us. I think that's rad. I've never seen the garden in that way or what God had desired for Adam and Eve, that his life would permeate through the garden and ultimately fill the earth. So uh, when, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, uh, it put a stain of rejection on humanity. And consequently, the old covenant is a story of people trying to get back to the garden because the garden was amazing. It was life-giving. It was fulfilling. It was rich. And they got kicked out. And so the old covenant is their, their efforts to, to get back to the garden. Now, Genesis says that the garden was sustained by the tree of life and through its roots permeated everywhere with life, just like we saw in the video. And without it, it was just a garden. This is so significant because if we don't understand what made the garden significant, then we miss the whole point. Without this tree of life... Without the source of heaven, it was just a garden. Just a garden. So Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and then no matter how hard they try, they can't reproduce it. No matter how many orchards they plant, no matter how many trees, right? In their mind, it's like they've lived in the garden. For some some theologians say thousands of years they lived in the garden. We have no idea how long that period was. They got kicked out into the desert, into no man's land that hasn't been developed. And in their mind, they're like, I gotta get back. I gotta recreate what was amazing. Ever done that in your life? Like you had an awesome season and then all of a sudden the season's not awesome and you're like, I just gotta recreate that. I gotta get back there. I I gotta somehow get back into that season of life because that was amazing. And so here, Adam, and Evar, and no matter how hard they try, they can't recreate the garden. I think you and I can relate with that. No matter how hard we try to build a life of satisfaction, meaning, and significance, at the end of the day, it's just a garden. It should be enough. Have you ever had this conversation in your mind? Like, what I have should be enough so why am I depressed? Why do I not feel like I'm enough? It's not enough. The money should be enough, but it's just not. My, my family, they should be enough, but it's not my, my significant, my, my accomplishments, the things that I've done, the experience that I have. It really should be enough for me to feel good about myself, to have joy, to have peace. Like all of those things should be enough. My faith, my religion, my friends. I mean, have you ever gone down the list of like, wow, life is really good. So why is it not enough? Because without the tree, it's just a garden. So, I've got four ideas that, um, that I've got from this, from this story that I want to unpack and help us to land in a place where ultimately we're seeing Jesus in a new and a fresh way. And the first idea is this religion is man's attempt to recreate the garden, religion is man's attempt to recreate the garden. So man get, gets kicked out of paradise, and then God gives him the law. Now, obviously, that was thousands of years later, but God gives the law, and then we go to work, as if this was God's recipe to create a life of significance, a life that's, that's meaningful, right? It's not enough. It's okay, because I'm going to give you the law, and if you do all these things, then you're going to recreate the garden, I I don't think that was in the garden. That noise was not happening in the garden. (laughs) Stay focused. As if God was giving us a recipe for the garden, do these things, live by these rules, and you will find life. Because remember, when we say the garden, when we say what was happening in the garden, what we really mean is life. Life to the full, abundance, satisfaction, joy, like this is what was taking place in the garden. And so you have lost people that that are trying to find this, trying to find life, trying to find hope, significance, and they can't find it. And so ultimately, they come to religion. And they go, well, maybe that's the answer. Maybe, maybe I just need to go to church. Maybe I get, need to get connected. And what they find is nothing's changed. Religion misses altogether what made the garden life-giving. Is it the amazing trees? Is it the beautiful weather? Is it those rivers running through it? The garden was beautiful. And listen, like, I don't know. We, we can all relate with this. That that we we, we find ourselves in like this beautiful place with beautiful people, and then somehow deep down, it's just like, it's as awesome as I thought, but not as fulfilling. I know, I know what's gonna make the garden. It's when people stop sinning. That's what's gonna make paradise. Paradise man's holiness is the answer. If it's not the trees, if it's not the river, if it's not the beautiful weather, then maybe it's get a bunch of people together and have them act holy. And that will create the bliss and the holiness that we all desire. See, religion is is man's attempt to recreate ultimately where God placed us originally in this place of significance and meaning. The next idea is this. The choice at the tree is not about your bad habits or sinful cravings. Amen. This was never God's intent when he gave us the law. His purpose was always to tabernacle, to be with us, to bring the tree of life to us. So Jesus enters the temple and turns over the tables, furious that we we're creating a false garden. And I think it's important for all of us to like recognize our ability or tendency to create a false garden. Come on. The things that we think, right, and faith included in that, and church going and do-gooding and all these things, and we, 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 we put a cocktail together and go, that's success, that's life, that's joy. And if I just get enough of those things with a few of my friends, and we all have the cocktail. Think in your mind like what your cocktail is that you've created, that if I can just put those pieces together, then I've got the sweet spot. And what that's called is a false garden. And God's not mad at it. He's sad at it. Because He knows what what we all know in our spirit deep down is that ultimately that cocktail will fail just like the last cocktail that I put together will fail at, de- at, at fulfilling those things, those deep longings in me because ultimately the garden is just the garden without that central life-giving tree. Do you know why Jesus was so frustrated at the Pharisees? Because they were the salesmen for this garbage. They were the ones going out there and, and, and beating the streets, make a cold call on the phone calls, like, hey, let me set you up on this track. It's amazing. This religious track that's going to create this life-giving experience for you. But the choice at the tree is not about your bad habits or sinful cravings. Uh, unfortunately, over and over, though, we double down and we miss the point. Surely... Jesus, when he went into the temple, the man-made temple and threw open the tables and was all frustrated and angry. Surely he was angry because people were sinning. Surely he was angry because we weren't holy enough. And he's like, hey, you call this a garden? This isn't a garden. Y'all need to do better. Create the garden. I, I gave you the manuscript, so do it. And so this is where this is kind of we kind of double down on this narrative to think that Jesus was angry because the people were not holy enough. So we look at a struggle in our life, and this is where it gets personal. So we look at a struggle in our life and we call it the problem. Alcoholism. Yeah, that's the problem. That's what's keeping me from God. Materialism, greed, pride, selfishness, those are the things that keep me from God. We think the fruit that Eve ate from represents behavior. Again, going back to the choice of the tree. There's two choices. There's there's eating from the tree of life and eating from the false tree. And we think in our minds that that choice had to do with behavior as if God in heaven was watching to see if we will choose bad behavior or holiness and reward us with paradise. And it's no wonder that sinners tell me and you over and over that if I ever came to your church, the walls would burn down because I am such a sinner. He kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden for bad behavior. He'll do the same thing for me. Anybody ever heard that narrative before? And again, it sounds ridiculous. Like we would never really say that, but... Do we subconsciously believe that that the choice at the tree every day, and I'm going to show you at the end of this why it's so destructive. Because obviously, materialism and greed and selfishness and all those things that our sinful nature craves, obviously those things are bad and those things are destructive. But it's not the choice at the tree. That's not... We're not all leaving this room and headed out on Monday morning and going, all right, I got a choice today. I can choose holiness, which means good behavior, or I can choose to make bad decisions. And those are the choices I have. This is your effort to create a false garden, thinking if I walk in holiness, I will find myself in a garden. You guys were like, wow, this is really getting sketchy. The garden is not a place we create. This is the third thing. The garden is not a place we create with our holiness. It's a person we accept by faith. Stay with me. For when I eat from the tree of life, it is paradise. We're getting to the real choice. The real choice that we have. Listen to what David wrote. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. The money should be enough for me. My accomplishments, they should be enough. My family, my experiences, the things that I've collected They should be enough to meet the longings in my soul, but they're not. And so David says, go ahead and put that back up there. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I just, again, we've heard this so many times, but I want you to get the visual because we're talking about a garden. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. Just leave that up there. That sounds like a garden to me. A place that I'm not in want. I am, I am fully satisfied. And it's a place where, where I'm led to green pastures and still waters and my soul is cared for and nurtured this sounds like a beautiful garden so this is kind of where where it gets good because we were all born cursed by sin prone to choose death and if if the choice at the tree is a setup in that we're going to choose wrong every time. You ever get frustrated at yourself? You're like, I know what to do. I mean, Paul wrote this in in Romans chapter 7 and 8. Like, I know what to do and what not to do. So why do I keep going back? Anybody with me? Or is that just me? Anybody willing to admit, it's like, I know the areas where I need to choose right living and I go over here and I pick from this tree. Why do I do that? It's so frustrating. You ever wake up in the morning and you're like, all right, today's the day. Today's the day and I'm not going to do that anymore. I know better now and last night was a mistake. Yesterday was a mistake. The last year was a mistake. Wherever you're at, right? Today's a new day. You're like, actually, that was this morning. <laughs> and then what happens? You make your way back to the tree at some point. You try some of that fruit that promises awesomeness. It's like like this choice that we have is cursed. Like we're set up to fail. So Jesus comes as the tree of life. Remember when I said in the garden that, that it was always God's plan. The tree represented his life, the source of heaven, the throne room of heaven. And from there, he said to Adam and Eve, go out into the world. Like this is not meant to stay here. But make no mistake, what makes the garden the garden isn't the trees. It's not the beauty. It's not the awesomeness. It's not even one another. It's my source, my presence, the source of heaven. So take it everywhere. So Jesus comes on the scene and he comes as the source of heaven. But instead of drinking deeply from him, they take the tree and they cut it down. And then they hang him on it. And the Bible says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And I find that interesting that the whole narrative started with a tree. That God put so much detail in Genesis about like, and he made these trees and he made those trees. And it's like full on gardener. He's into it. God is into trees. And yet his son was hung on one. And what I, what I love about this narrative is that Jesus was hung on that tree and, we, and the Bible says that he conquered sin and death and the curse from the law. He conquered that curse of the tree. So I know even though we sometimes feel like we're, we're doomed when it comes to the choice of right and wrong, when it comes to breaking the stronghold in our life of sin, Jesus was hung on that tree, went into the grave, rose from the dead, and broke us free from that. And that was my one of my final points. It says, Jesus broke the curse of the law and set us free from the grip of sin. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So here's what I love about this. So Jesus... So G- Jesus lives outside of time and space. And so sometimes when he was here on earth, he would would say things that only made sense after resurrection. Like when the woman caught in adultery was laid before Jesus and everyone's like, we should condemn her. And the law says this, this, and this. And Jesus was able to say, I don't condemn you. And that wasn't just because he was a nice guy. It was because Jesus knew that he was paying the ultimate sacrifice for his sin because the Bible says that before the, before the, 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 the earth was formed, the lamb was slain. He's outside of time and space. So Jesus was able to live in the moment and, 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 and talk post-resurrection. And so we're going to see that very first scripture that we read, Jesus was doing that very thing. He was talking to people as if he has already been crucified and raised again, and we see it in John chapter 7, verse 37. We read the scripture at the very beginning. So Jesus comes on the scene, and it, the Bible says that it was during the Feast of Tabernacles. So I learned this when I was in Israel, that there was, there was a pool of, of Salome, and it was... Um, down probably a quarter mile, maybe a half a mile from the temple, and it was this big pool um, that a lot of stuff happened. That was where the man that was blind went and like put mud on his face and all that kind of stuff. Well, during this Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrating God with us. What took place in the desert with Moses and the children of Israel, they were celebrating this this Feast of Tabernacles. And what would take place during the Feast of Tabernacles is people would take big jugs of water. They would go down to the um, the, uh, Pool of Siloam. They'd get these big buckets and they'd walk them up. And it was an epic, like long dirt road, windy road, all the way up to the temple with these buckets of water. And they would come to the temple and they would pour these big buckets onto the altar and then they would pray these ritualistic prayers and hope and believe that somehow, some way they were going to create a garden. They were going to create this place where where they found significance and found meaning and found God and so they kept doing this over and over again. They were carrying water. Thirsty people not allowed to drink because you could not drink this water. Carrying water up and going through this process. And Jesus shows up on the scene. This is the setting for Jesus to come on the scene in John chapter seven, verse 37. And he stood up on the, on the temple steps and cried out. Again, priests and peasants and everyone's a part of this big ritual. And Jesus stands on these steps and he cries aloud. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink the tree of life has come what everybody has been searching for this entire time to find the garden what was in the garden what was meant for the world Shows up on those steps and he says, if anyone's thirsty. See, what took place in the garden is that anytime Adam and Eve would take food from what God had provided, it would be like him providing the table. We've been talking about the table. They would take strawberries or an apple. And when they ate from that, they would be they would be taking in the life of God. Because in the garden, the tree of life was permeating everywhere. It was his life. And it was their decision to take from and partake. But when they got out of the garden and sin separated from that, they had no opportunity to to take from the life that they needed. And so so they got stuck in this place of like, well, maybe it's about holiness. Maybe it's about do-goodism. And Jesus stood and said, if anyone is thirsty if anyone feels like their life is not enough, if anyone's continuing to search for what they need, I am here and I'm telling you, it's, I, it, I am available, come and drink. But don't come with your buckets. Don't come with your good deeds. He didn't say if anybody has done you know, their rituals for the day, anyone's checked the boxes, then come on. He said, anyone, anyone come and drink. And so Jesus presents a new choice. And the choice is at the table. And the choice is come and drink. And, 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 and I, wanna, I, I don't want you to miss this because, because this is the new choice. And this is what separates us from from religion. We've already established the fact that you can't create the garden on your own. I can't create the garden on, on, on my own. And religion isn't that. Experiences isn't that. Money isn't that. It's him. He is the source of life. Him. Drinking deeply from him, which is why we say that we don't do religion here. We're a community of people that's just like, man, I love Jesus. He's what I need, and I'm trying to figure out a way to drink deeply from him. So we come to the table, and Jesus says, why don't you trade the garbage that you've been trying to fulfill yourself with with a real cup of water? And so we go, come on. That actually felt really good on my throat. Thank you, Jesus. Perfect. What happens next is where we totally lose it because we think, wow, that that was really great. And I got that because I made a profound decision. And my profound decision was I'm going to leave my old life behind, whether it's because you got saved or you got water baptized or you came down to the altar and you're like, come on, Jesus, I am done with that old stuff. And now I'm ready for the real thing. And we drink and it's so good. You guys are jealous, I know. It's good water. But then life happens, and we, we go back to that old tree, and we convince ourselves again of this garbage old narrative about the false garden that like, yeah, totally. Jesus offers this, and then he, he expects me to go over here and, and get my life together. And so when I don't, I come back to the table, and Jesus is like, come on, drink. Drink. And I'm like, I really would love to. And, and it actually tastes really good. Um, but but I, really, I really need to take care of some stuff first. I don't feel worthy to come and drink, so I won't. I actually feel better trying to recreate the garden on my own because I don't deserve a cup of cold water for nothing. And so I see it there, and I believe that one day I will drink it again, and maybe I'll come over here and take a little sip. But it's really, it's, so, it's such a distant thought because I have not convinced myself in my mind about the real choice. I still think the choice is holiness or wrong actions, wrong behavior. And when I come to this choice and I don't choose wisely, then all of a sudden, I'm not worthy to be at the table. When Jesus said, all you who are thirsty, come on. In other words, the choice is not whether or not you're good or bad. The choice is, where is your source of life? What will you look to tomorrow morning? What are you gonna look to as your source? Is it gonna be Jesus that offers it freely? Or is it gonna be something else that you've convinced yourself of that you have to turn to? I, um, 2022 has started um, a, a, a bit rough for me personally. There's some things that are navigating. I'm, 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 we're okay, but there's some things that I'm having to navigate that I didn't foresee um, that, you know, are putting some pressure uh, on, on, on my faith and on my life. And, um, and I don't know about you, but um, those are the moments of pressure. when Pressure really pushes you one way or another, right? And we all know what we, what we go to when we're under pressure, whether we, you know, go to comfort food or or we go to, you know, that 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 experience that we just need again or write a friend group or just like, you know, binge watching on Netflix, like whatever it is that you turn to when there's a little bit of pressure. And I'll tell you, for me I felt like the Lord really told me in the in the, in the midst of this that if I will leave the, the results to him, what I can control is where I go because of the pressure. And what I'm determined is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push all of the stuff that I, that I typically go to that's not living water. And I'm going to come to the table and I'm going to say, today, God, I don't feel worthy Today, I don't feel like enough. Today, I'm stressed. Today, there's things that are out of my control. But here, I know that you're offering me today living water. You don't earn it. You can't deserve it. But this is the choice. This is the choice that we have Will I take of the living water of Jesus that he provides every single day like manna from heaven? That's exactly what our soul needs. Or will I somehow convince myself that I don't, earn, that I don't deserve it and so I'm going to find it somewhere else because maybe one day I'll be good enough to come to the table and so I'll create this false narrative about what the choice really is and what my garden is. And Jesus is like, listen, it's really simple. I have all that you Need, and it's right here. Amen. Come and drink. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about what that looks like. What does it look like to dig? allow our roots to go down deep? The Bible says that we are like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That our, that our roots should go deep into the soil of Jesus and his marvelous love that we are oaks of righteousness. Because see, Jesus isn't the only tree. He's called us to be planted as trees, right? That mustard seed of faith. And it grows into this beautiful tree and where true righteousness and holiness comes from so that we come to to the table every single day as sons and daughters and we drink deeply from him. And this is the journey as we start out this new year of 2022. If nothing else, we're going to be a community that just comes to the table and we drink deeply and we receive from him and we walk in our righteousness and our holiness. And we look at the people around us that are floundering and that are searching. We go, listen, I understand there's a lot of uncertainty, but here's what I know. The tree of life, it's come and it's available to anyone who's thirsty. Right. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for all that we need is found in you today. I thank you that tomorrow morning when we wake up, the choice is simple. It has nothing to do with our behavior, but simply our choice to find you as our source. And when we do, when we drink deeply, we will no longer thirst for the things of the world, that those things will will fade to the background because we've tasted the real thing. And God, I thank you for that today. I thank you that as we face pressures of life, as we face dynamics in this, this life, Jesus, that we can turn to you and drink deeply. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. God bless you.